The Gospel reading for Easter Day, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to him, them, They have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, what a privilege it is to be in your homes this morning and to celebrate this glorious resurrection news with each of you today. Uh, I want to say a special word of thanks to our communications and production team, to all of our musicians and worship leaders uh, for their devotion and for their love today. It's so good to be with each of them. And how special is it to have Bishop Bill McAlilly read our scripture lesson for today. Uh, those of you who are from this area, who are from Brentwood, probably recognized that he was reading the scripture in the columbarium where we have spent some tender moments together, grieving and sharing together and also celebrating resurrection and new life. And so we're grateful to our bishop, uh, David Brooks, who is a part of our communications team, was able to send that video of our bishop reading the lesson today to every United Methodist Church in the Tennessee Conference and the Memphis Conference. So it's been wonderful to have our bishop share with us in this way today, and it's a great joy to be in your homes this morning. I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about the word empty. 
It's one of those words that sort of sounds like what it actually means. I think they call that onomatopoeia. It means vacant. It means void. To be empty means to be blank or to be barren. This is the 38th year that I've had in ministry to preach on Easter Day. And I have to tell you just quite honestly, I've never imagined an Easter where I'd be standing here in a chancel preaching to an empty church. To be honest with you today, I can see your faces in the pews. The pews are packed with people. There's standing room only around the walls and the windows. The choir loft is full, but today it's empty. I never envisioned that. I got a call from a friend recently. He's about 80 years of age, and he said, Pastor, I want you to know I feel like I'm 16 today. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, gas is cheap, and I'm grounded. And I said, I know exactly how you feel. Who among us during this pandemic hasn't sort of felt grounded? And so I just want to say, I just want to confess to you as we begin today, I, I'm not big on empty. I don't like empty pews. I don't like empty Sunday school rooms. I don't like empty chancels. I certainly don't like empty baptismal bowls. I don't care for empty hands, and I don't care for empty hearts. I've never cared for empty. A number of years ago, when I was a student at Lambeth College, I remember driving back from Nashville to Jackson, and I was on I-40 West, somewhere between Bucksnort and Yuma. Anybody know where that is? Yuma is just up the road from Sugar Tree. I'm sure that clears it up. I was driving, and when I looked down at my gas gauge, it was on E, empty. I have to tell you, when you're in Bucksnort, Tennessee, and you see that, on your gas dial, it's a bad feeling, and I'll tell you, it was a long walk, empty. Or maybe you've hosted a barbecue before, and you put the burgers on the grill, and after a minute or two, you looked out, and there's no smoke, there's no flame, no fire, and suddenly, it hits you that somebody forgot to refill the tank, empty. Or maybe you go to the hospital, I've done it before, to see a friend and you walk into the room and the bed's made, the room's clean. You find the nurse, has he gone to ICU? Have you put him in another room? And she looks down at the floor and says, I'm sorry. Empty. You know the feeling. And frankly, some of you have told me lately, you've been running on empty. It's ironic to me that you see this word in the text that the bishop read for us. And if you read the New Testament, you'll discover that all four Gospels agree that when the women reached the tomb on that first Sunday sunrise, it was empty. Mary Magdalene first made the discovery. Her name means tower. Magdalene is not a name, it's a word. It means tower. Migdal was the town that she came from. 
I think it's appropriate that she made the discovery first. She was, after all, last to leave the cross, and she was first to reach the tomb. When she got to the cemetery, she noted that the stone had been removed. She assumed, she concluded that someone had stolen the body. She was scared to death, and who wouldn't have been? Terrified, she runs to Peter and John, tells them they hoof it to the cemetery to see for themselves, and sure enough, it was empty, though not completely. The Gospel of John says that grave clothes were still in the tomb, neatly folded and in place. And that remark is peculiar because grave robbers are not usually known for their etiquette. Body snatchers are not known for their P's and Q's. And apparently this is all it took for John, the beloved apostle. Verse eight says, when he saw empty, he believed. And we're not certain about the content of John's faith because the very next verse, verse 9 says, they did not yet understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Later we know that they would probably recall Isaiah 53, which is the suffering servant song written seven centuries before Christ. In fact, I'd like to read a section of Isaiah 53 Listen to this word, prophecy, 700 years before the fact. And he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Through the suffering he experiences, my righteous servant, says God, will make many righteous descendants as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, says God, I will reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch. He embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his shoulders the sins of many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep, so he shall be exalted and his name shall be lifted on high. That's in the scripture. But Peter and John didn't get it initially. They didn't see it, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures. And so what did they do? They went home half empty. But Mary didn't go. She couldn't leave. She stepped inside the tomb and she saw two angels there where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head, the other at the feet. The image is of, is of the seraphim on either side of the Ark of the Covenant. But in this case, not even the angels could fix Mary's empty. And then verse 14 says she turned around. Now, whenever you see that phrase in the scripture, turn around, it telegraphs that something huge is about to happen. And Mary turns around and there's Jesus, but she doesn't know him. She doesn't recognize him. In fact, she thinks he's the caretaker. She, she thinks he's maintenance. He's the gardener. Woman, he says, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? 
Sir, she says, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him. And then Jesus looked at her and said, Mary. That's the greatest one-word sermon in the New Testament. Mary. And she knew there's only one man in this world who can speak my name like that with such grace and dignity and love. And when Mary heard Jesus call her name, her eyes were opened. There's recognition, there's revelation. It reminds me of John chapter 10, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep by name and they know my voice. And she did. When he called her name, she knew what empty was all about. He's risen. I was going through a box the other day during our little quarantine at night sometimes. Sherry and I have been going through things. I found an old box I didn't remember that I had. It's full of memorabilia, letters and pictures from my youth that I think my mother had put aside. I found, among other things, an old newspaper clipping from the Tennessean. It was dated the summer of 1979. It's a picture of my father and me. We're at the Billy Graham crusade at Vanderbilt University on the football field. I was 19. And when I saw that picture, suddenly it all came back. That was the week that I heard Jesus call my name. And I said yes to the call. Mary, just put your name in there. Laura, Toy, James, Greg. We serve a shepherd who knows us by name. Mary. And she turned around. <laughs> Rabboni, she said. That's a Hebrew term that's similar to rabbi, but it's much more personal, much more intimate. It literally means my teacher, my master. And then Jesus says something really strange. Verse 17, he says, don't hold on to me. The old King James Version says, don't touch me. Uh, that may be the first mention of social distancing in the New Testament. Don't touch me. I was thinking this morning, one of the most difficult things about the last month has been our inability to touch. Laura, you mentioned it in, in the prayer. We've taken it for granted, shaking a hand, <laughs> hugging a neck, a pat on the back, passing the peace. I may be wrong, but of the five senses, I, I think the sense of touch is perhaps the most vital of all of them. More important than sight, sound, smell, taste is touch. But just because you can't touch doesn't mean you can't feel. Just because you can't physically touch doesn't mean you can't experience 
the reality of Jesus. In fact, I read the other day that the sense of of touch is the only one of the five senses that doesn't lose its potency with age. This is why sunny day is so important. Being with people who suffer memory loss, just, just the touch. It's what we mean when we say, that song really touched me today. It's what we mean when we say that prayer, that message, the children's sermon really touched me today, touched my heart. I felt the touch of Jesus through your call, through your text, through your email. And so the reality is just because you can't touch doesn't mean you can't experience. It's so important to touch. The best translation of verse 17 is this. Jesus said to Mary, don't cling to me. In fact, Jesus allows Mary to touch him, as he did later, Thomas. But he's saying to her, don't hang on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. In other words, Jesus at this point is about to be glorified. He's about to be exalted to take his place at the right hand of the Father. And what he's saying to Mary is, don't just hang on to the past. Don't just cling to the earthly me. You've got to let go. You remember what Jesus said on Monday, Thursday? This is in John chapter 14. He said to his friends, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you without comfort. I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. I'm going to give to you a helper. I'm going to give you a counselor. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will teach you all things that I have said and indeed will bring everything that I have said to your remembrance so that you can keep going, so that you can continue the mission. But sometimes you have to let go. I've discovered that being a disciple, a Christ follower, is not just about holding on. (laughs) It's about letting go. And then notice, when Jesus calls her name, he also gives her a task. He gives her a mission. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God, and your God. I want you to notice how Jesus addressed the disciples. He calls them brothers. Boy, that's generous, isn't it? Especially after the mess that they made of Good Friday. You think what Jesus could have said? He could have said, go tell those traitors. Go tell those defectors. Go, go tell those turncoats that we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting, all right. But that's not what he said. He called them brothers. It's fascinating, this this progress in John's gospel of the disciples. Early in the gospel of John, Jesus calls them disciples, then servants, then friends, and then brothers. It's a word of grace. It's a word of forgiveness. Tell them, Jesus said, that my father is their father and my God 
is their God. In other words, you guys are not just brothers, you're sons. You've been adopted. You've been renamed. You've been reconciled and restored. Tell them I said that. And Mary did, just as she was told. She let go of her empty, and she was filled to serve. I have seen the Lord, she said. My goodness, what a turnaround. She came to the grave empty, and she left full to overflowing with joy. Last word. Some of you know the name Dr. Mark LaBranch, yes? Who is president of our college in Pulaski, Tennessee, Martin Methodist College. I called him the other day to check on our students there, and he told me about one of our nursing interns. I have a picture of her. Her name is Courtney Massey. This is Courtney. She's been on the front lines of the pandemic. She's 20 years old. She's a nursing intern, and she wrote to Dr. LeBranch her experience recently. I'm going to give Courtney the last word. Since the pandemic has started, she said, I haven't been able to wrap my head around it. I had no clue what my emotions would be. I've tried not to let my fear control me through all of this. But earlier this week, I had to work a night shift. And this shift was different from any I've ever worked. I was assigned to take care of a patient that tested positive for COVID-19. Currently, she said, there are three positive cases at my hospital, and my patient is one of them. I didn't know what to expect or think. I worried all night. Am I putting on my PPE appropriately? Am I going to spread this virus? Am I going to take it home? Am I protected enough? Am I taking care of my patient good enough? My biggest fear, she said, was taking it back home with me or infecting a family member or even myself. My 13-hour shift was full of emotions and questions, but then I started to wonder how my patient felt. People who are hospitalized with COVID-19 have got to feel so lonely and helpless, empty. They're probably just as scared, if not even more so, than me. And so eventually, said Courtney, I had to overcome my emotions so that I could focus solely on the health of my patient. After my shift was over, I went to my car and I sat in the parking lot and I cried, wondering what's next. My hands were, were dried out from washing them. My face was swollen and red from the mask. I'm still excited to be an RN someday, even though I'm watching a lot of my peers wishing they could find another career. But when I become an RN, I want to stand up for what's right. I want to give the needed love and care to serve all my patients 
After all, she writes, it's my call. Her name is Courtney Massey, but I think she's a Magdalene. She's a 20-year-old tower who's already learning how to let go and empty herself so that Christ can fulfill his mission in her. I'm rethinking what I said earlier. I'm beginning to think that maybe empty isn't so bad after all. Paul said it like this, church have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not exploit equality with God, but he emptied himself into the form of a servant, becoming obedient even unto death, so that now at his name, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. I think I like empty. This morning, the building is empty, but the church is full because you are the church. Jesus Christ cannot possibly be contained in this room, in a building, in a sanctuary, in a shrine, or in a tomb. He's right where you are. He's at your table. He's on your couch. He's in your home. He's at the hospital. He's stacking groceries. He's driving a truck on I-40. He's disinfecting a room. He's making a call. He's sending a text. He's breathing a prayer. And just because you can't touch doesn't mean you can't feel. And so, friends, on this Easter rainy, empty day, in the context of empty, he's alive. And he's calling your name. And when you hear his voice, what do you do? You turn around, you fall on your knees and worship him, and then you let go. <laughs> to serve him, and your empty gets filled. In Jesus' name.